Yes, hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's it going? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, it's going good, man. Um, one thing I've realised, and it's what we're recording on the second, right? One mm. thing I've realised is that throughout December, I'm, the transfer excitement builds, you know, I like mm-hmm. getting ready for the gossip, getting mm-hmm. ready for all the rumours and that. And then I'm like, oh, I'm so excited for this. And then, you know, we're two days in. We've seen quite concrete rumours about players leaving the league. And then I realised, well, all that happens is that players that I like just go to weird clubs like Mets or <laughs> Mexico or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I want all the it's... players to stay in the league or get a move to a Champions League club or the Premier League. That's that's what should happen. They, they, yeah. they, even, they move up in the league and then they move on to the the bigger teams but this is prime Alas. poaching season uh, all the best players in the league get poached in January but we'll have to see obviously interesting time with the January transfer window open we usually do a little January transfer window special maybe we'll do that at the end of the window this year because yeah. I don't think there's enough rumours floating around at this point for us to to be speculating but maybe at the end of the January transfer window we'll do a little January transfer window roundup. Um but yeah still recovering from Christmas I suppose um, and of course finally one person who who didn't have the best Christmas, shall we say, uh, of course, was George Jesus, a uh, former Benfica manager now who left his role as Benfica manager on the 28th of December. There's a little bit of contention as to whether he was sacked or whether he resigned. The official line that came out was it was a decision made by mutual consent. Uh, of course, there's a whole backstory, rumours, speculation that's been floating around about a training ground bust-up involving George Jesus, Pizzi, uh, and Andre Almeida, which ended with Andre Almeida and Pizzi coming out on top and JJ offering his resignation uh, as a result. Of course, uh, it was also uh, a lot of speculation about JJ leaving as a result of the delegation uh, sent from Brazil by Flamengo <laughs> to Portugal. I really enjoyed that whole debacle. And I have to say, that guy on Twitter, what's his name? George, George Sepulveda, the, the, the trans yeah. first guy. He was doing the Lord's work. He was following them around, oh, filming man. them coming out of hotels and restaurants. Unbelievable. I really did enjoy that. I think we'll come on to all that stuff later, though, because we do need to talk about JJ. This is big news. And I think we should put aside for now all the distractions, all the extraneous details, and just focus on the football, on what was achieved on the pitch by Benfica uh, with JJ in charge. How do you assess his time as Benfica manager in this second spell? since taking charge over the last 18 months? Well, my first bullet point I've written is just my journey with JJ. Because I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> because that first season went by... Obviously, that was a dreadful season for Benfica. For There was a few stories that came out about the guy as well that just... I, I really, really disliked him for reasons both on and off the pitch. And then this season started and I was like, right, it's a new season. I felt like... Perhaps I was letting my emotions get the better of me and I was being too negative about the guy. And Benfica had a decent start to the season. They Yes, they lost that game to Portman and that was sort of the turning point, really, wasn't it? Where all the, a bit more negativity came out. And, you know, even though they had some really convincing wins, like recently, you think of that 7-1 Frashing Maritimo, there was still something not right there. And now he's gone. I realised, like, why was I trying to like him? He, he was... Because <laughs> ultimately he's been a massive failure, hasn't he? You know? Oh. The money that Benfica has spent the past seasons, no wins against Porto or Sporting apart from that one against Sporting at the end of last season when they'd already won the league. They were, they were 
you know they were on the on the beach as is what people were saying um and also another factor how about no profit made on the young players who they purchased mm-hmm. last season Walt Schmidt Pedrino both leaving for basically the same money they came it's been terrible and I think now that he's gone I realize how bad the, the situation was Let, let's take it right back to right back to the beginning I know I know we've heard all of this before you just you know you've just spoken about a lot of it but let's just talk about JJ's journey with Benfica over the last 18 months and go back to the 100 million euros that was spent in one window, the window that he joined. Obviously, Benfica set themselves up for a big project. They're then immediately knocked out of the Champions League qualifiers against Pauk from Greece. The goal that knocked them out being scored by a player who they just got rid of. That same window, they also allow multiple youth players to leave the club, including Florentino, Jota, and Thiago Dantas to Bayern Munich, all on loan, admittedly, but you know, showing that they don't have much faith in these players. At this point, you kind of say, all right. It was an unusual year with the one-legged knockout system. Maybe in normal years, they they bounce back, win the second leg and go through. Losses happen. What can you do? You know, let's just see how they get on in the league. And they, as you said, they started off flying. You know, they had their new stars. Walshmitt was scoring goals. Darwin was scoring goals. Vertonghen looks really good at the back. Fast forward to the end of last season. And they've been out of the title race for months. You know, mm-hmm. the key players have lost the confidence. The players that they've spent big money on have not been performing. There's rumours of discontent in the camp. As you said, zero titles of any kind were won. Not a single redeeming factor, really, from that season at all. He deserved to be sacked at the end of that season. And I personally yeah. maintain that the only reason he wasn't sacked was because they couldn't afford to pay off uh, his contract. And also that Luis Vieira was just too proud to admit they made the wrong decision. But anyway, no new manager in the summer. No real big money signings this year. Uh, players only signed in the previous window, like Pedrinho and Waldschmidt, are sold, as you say, for no profit. New signings that they do make add absolutely nothing to the squad. And I don't want to be harsh, but Mate, Radonjic and Lazaro have done absolutely nothing of note in a Benfica show, I don't think. Radonjic looks okay. You know, he looks like the one who might have a bit of a spark of hand, but he's barely contributed at all. So after all of that, after all this time, 18 months later, A, the squad is still in no better a state than when he took it over, despite having had three transfer windows to work with and spending 100 million euros. The prospects for youth players progressing into the first team look the worst they've been for a long time. They have zero silverware under George Azu, something I don't think has happened to a Benfica manager in a long time. Uh, and crucially, they look significantly further away from either of their big three rivals than they have done in many, many years. Not only has George Jesus been a failure, I think he's been one of the worst Benfica managers Benfica have had in many years. You know, He leaves the club with the squad needing a major overhaul. And I don't want to be melodramatic here, but the very identity of this club at the moment is in a bit of a crisis point. I completely agree with you. I think picking up on that, you mentioned their uh, squad overall. That that that's the key thing, isn't it? Because Verissimo, Rui Costa's put Verissimo in charge for now. Obviously, I don't think that's going to be till the end of the season. But and with that, you you sort of hope that the youth will get their opportunity. You know, because that really has to be the plan going forward. You know, because not just footballing, but financially. You know, these this is a Portuguese club. You make your money by moving players on. 
I think Morata needs to come into that defence. Paolo Bernardo needs to feature more. You just need to look at Porto and Sporting this season, you know, giving you the chance. They're reaping the benefits on the pitch. They'll be reaping the rewards financially in the summer when one or two of their players move on. Arguably, they're in a they're in a worse off situation than they were before he came in. I think this is a huge moment for Rui Costa's presidency. You know, we knew Luis Fibier essentially re-signed Jorge Jesus to help him win another election. It's all gone to shit. And Rui Costa needs to step up. He needs to appoint someone who's going to completely change the direction this club have been going. And I don't know if this, the rest of the season's a write-off, Albert. They're, they're still in the Champions League. Yes, there's so much to do. I will just say two things in George Jesus' defence, to try and be fair. One, of course, I'm not trying to... Uh, erase the fact that over his career, George Jesus has been a very successful manager. Mm. A lot of people praise him for the work he's done in the past, you know, what he's done for Portuguese football and what a key figure he's been. I don't deny that at all. This period under Benfica has been a failure. That's just that's just factual. I will also say, of course, that the one uh, exception in George Jesus' second stint at Benfica was that Champions League group stage campaign, which they were very good in, did very well to qualify out of and did very well to finish above Barcelona and he deserves credit for that but I think you know we've just listed a, a whole list of reasons why uh, this hasn't been successful and you don't have enough fingers on both hands to count the number of reasons why he, he's been a bit of a flop this time around. Um, just quickly Barney before we move on you mentioned Nelson Verismo obviously as soon as George Jesus was sacked all the speculation was about who was going to come in that talk was quite quickly cut short uh, as Nelson Verissimo was pointed as interim coach until the end of the season. He left his job as Benfica B coach with them at the top of the Segunda Liga. And I will just say this, Barney, the last time Benfica promoted a head coach from the B team to the senior team, it was Bruno Large, and he joined with Benfica seven points adrift uh, of the top of the table, and they ended that season as champions. How far are Benfica off the top of the table now? Seven points. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> we'll have to see man I, I know they've said it to the end of the season but I don't know if, if, if a manager is available I sort of feel it's like I mentioned before Rui Costa's got a decision to make I feel he's, this is a real pivotal moment in his presidential career I'd love to see Verismo do it I think he's he's the right guy but yeah I think at this point there's no harm in just letting Verismo give it a go you know they're not in a good position so what can they lose the Champions League will be tough but um, yeah at this point I don't think there's any harm in just letting the guy give it his best shot and seeing where they are in a few months' time. Well, let's talk about the biggest game of the week, Barney. And of course, that was Nelson Verissimo's first game in, in charge of Benfica. The second Clasico in seven days, Porto versus Benfica in the Dragao. Just seven days previously, Porto had beaten Benfica 3-0 in the Cup. But so much had changed in just a week. Benfica, obviously, with their new manager. And Porto, without Talisman, Luis Diaz due, due to COVID. But the result... And the performance, in my opinion, ended up being almost exactly the same as the previous fixture. 3-1 it ended to Porto. And despite flashes of promise for Benfica, Porto, I thought, were comfortably on top throughout and showed for me why they are just simply a better team at this moment in time. It's funny you said a very similar performance out because I completely agree. Pepe, who obviously filled in for the, the absent Luis Diaz, I thought his performance was almost identical to Luis Diaz's of recent games. Like, it was just... I, it was fantastic. I think the way he played that left wing role, the way he got into the box in central positions, it had such an mm. effect on the game. And he had two opportunities to, you know, head head one in. One was a goal, of course, and, and the other chance where Otavio turned Vigo inside out, and then he just yeah. 
Pepe just headed it wide. It was just such a good time to put in a performance. I think, you know, Diaz, we expect to leave in, in the summer for, for big money. And a player like Pepe, who, let's be honest, hasn't really been given a chance, obviously, for, for good reason with Diaz performing so well, to come in against your biggest rivals. I think he affected the game so well. Like I said, the way he came into the middle of the pitch and how that brought Sanusi into the game, who was also excellent, probably had the best game I've seen Sanusi in a Portage shirt in this game, by the way. Um, it was just fantastic. And I, I was... I was so happy for him. I, I, I really was. I was really pleased for him as well because there was a lot of talk before the game. Obviously, everyone's speculating who was going to come in for Luis Diaz. He was the top choice, really, to come in. But as you mentioned, he, he's not exactly set the world alight for Porto so far. He's not really lived up to the price tag of his transfer. So I think a lot of people were saying, you know, this is this guy's opportunity to come in and make a mark. And so I was really pleased that he did exactly that, got his goal uh, and almost had two. Obviously, that first goal being ruled out for offside was, you know, tough, but the right decision. And and like you, I enjoyed it because we expect Luis Diaz to leave at some point. And I think his performance alongside some of the other players that I'm going to mention just really showed that Porto's attack could look very bright even and after Luis Diaz. Uh, inevitable departure and you know that other, those other players that I did want to talk about Barney um, were some of the youth players that came in because I was so excited to watch the game when the lineups were announced um, because there were four Porto youth players uh, youth academy products starting uh, Diego Costa in goal Jamal Mario right back Patinha uh, who we've seen a lot of and Fabio Vieira now obviously Jamal Mario went off injured which is not nice to see but I thought the other three performed excellently and Fabio Vieira was really the one that particularly impressed oh, yeah. me, not least because he's the one that I know least about. I think he's the player that I've seen the least of. Um, and I thought, personally, from minute one, he was Porto's brightest player. And obviously, that's a tough ask when you consider how well Pepe played. But for me, he was number one. He set the mood early. He had a lovely long-range effort early on. He showed his intent from the start of this game. He was, of course, rewarded with his goal. But I think that only really tells part of the story. You know, this was a player that was influential the whole time he was on the pitch. And for someone who's not had many minutes, I think that's the key thing. You know, he didn't look out of place at all in this starting eleven. I think the word you said there was intent. That was, I think that's the right word for him because, you know, the, the forward runs he was making there. And I feel like this is the most advanced I've seen him play when he has got on. It was just so good, I think. And ahead of a finish for his goal. Yeah, I think he's, like you said, when you think of that him being an option in their attack. The thing I like as well, Albert, I know we talk about this a lot, but with one striker and Fabio Vieira, it just felt a bit more exciting, didn't it? There was an extra pass. It looked better for me. It felt right. The other player you mentioned about Bettini, I don't know if we should just have a section every week where we just, <laughs> just state his pass accuracy uh, this this week was 94.4 percent like <laughs> fantastic the only midfield in the league with a better pass actually at the moment is Weigl so Vitina's averaging 91.4 percent but Weigl's averaging 92.8 the difference is Vitina is playing three times as many key passes per game than, than Weigl you know what I mean that this guy is and Julian Weigl's basically just passing it six yards to his yeah, right <laughs> exactly that yeah and look we also talked about Benfica when we're discussing Jorge Zeus but these two players, I feel, you know, and you can argue brand cancer for sporting, you know, youth players given an opportunity, how much that elevates a team. And look, I, I read some stats for the for Benfica's midfielders right in this game. Jao Mario and, and Weigl, right? This combination of midfielders for Benfica played no key passes in this game. Two games <laughs> before, which includes the 7-1 win over Marito and the 4-1 over Family Cal, they played one key pass each. Vitinha played three key passes just in this game, in the, playing in the same position. It's such a good comparison to compare Porto's midfield to Benfica's midfield. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you know, when you bring up Vitinha, as you're so right to do so, 
we were having similar conversations about Vitinha as two months ago that we were having about uh, that we're having today about Fabio Vieira, about a youth player who looks mm. really promising, who's looking for a place in a starting eleven uh, and looking for an opportunity to prove his value. Patinho has really done that in his last month or six weeks or so, the way mm. he's, he's cemented himself into that midfield and really made himself undroppable with his performances. Fabio Vieira, to me, Barney, just looks like the next player ready to do exactly that in this Porto team. You know, he looks like the player ready to really push Sergio Conceição. And for to Sergio Conceição's credit, I think for whatever people say about him being reluctant or maybe being slow to bring youth players in, I think once you earn his trust, I think he can be very loyal to these young players, as we've seen with Diogo Costa, as we've seen with João Mario, as we've seen with Vitinha, mm. and hopefully as we'll see with Fabio Vieira uh, in the coming weeks. Um, we have to, of course, mention Otavio as well, Barney, and what phenomenal yeah. game he had. Really good performance from him. Um, his cross was the assist for Pepe's header, uh, and he should have been rewarded with his own goal at the end. He managed to put a one-on-one chance why did it go inexplicably? I just think he often gets criticised by Porto fans. So I think it's just worth giving him his plaudits when he owns them. And I think he did really well in this game. He's properly stepped up as when he's been captain as well, you know, with Pepe being out at the back. Um, you know, in these big games as well, important games this, this time of year, he, he's really stepped up in that aspect as well. And of course, Barney, we really can't finish talking about Porto without mentioning the main man up front, Medi Taremi. Uh, he finally ended his goal drought with a really, really nice goal. And what a perfect time to do it as well, because when Benfica had just scored to make it 2-1, and just when you think that they might be getting back into the game, when they started pushing Porto, they soaked up that pressure. And that third goal from Taremi just killed the game and, and ultimately wins the match for Porto. No, but I know we've been a, well, I have been a little critical of um, Taremi's goal droughts in, in, in recent weeks. But a lovely um, statistic that came up over the weekend, is that for the year 2021, um, the top five players in in Europe who for goal like goal contributions um, is Mbappe first with 65 goal contributions, Lewandowski with 62 goal contributions, Haaland with 59 goals, Benzema with 50 goals, and Medi Taremi with 48. You know, fantastic. He, that's great company, isn't it? And and he he is so good. We, we, you know, we talked about people trying to get a team. Fabio Vera perhaps getting a striking spot. We gotta be real. Taremi's not going to be losing that spot. He's been he's been immense for them. And with Benfica, you know, we just talked about Verismo's first game in charge. I was so disappointed with the team selection when I saw they were going four at the back. I was excited because I think that's a change that needs to to come to this team. However. In this game, it looked like a team who were used to playing five at the back. There was no cover on the wings from the midfield or attack. And Andre Almeida at left back, oh, it was just a disaster waiting to happen, in my opinion. They need an extra body in that midfield and they just need to mix up that combination of, of Vigo and João Mario. And I, I mentioned those, you know, the statistics there about how I just don't think that they give them enough forward movement. And for Verissimo, I was really expecting him to give players a chance and opportunity like Paolo Bernardo and... When that didn't happen, and and it just seems too similar. I know he's, he's only been there what a few days. I, I, I'm not expecting the world of this, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of, of a change. Yeah, you're quite right, and I think obviously the fact that Frisimo had only had two days really to work with the players. I don't think you can expect any drastic change in you know the team performance or the kind of identity of the team. But like you, I do think he needs some criticism in his game management. As you say, I don't mm. think the formation quite works, but also the problem that I had mainly um, was the substitutions that he made throughout the game, which I really think he got wrong. Primarily, 
taking off Jeremchuk, Benfica's goal scorer, and actually, despite not looking amazing in recent weeks, had looked half decent in this game, and takes off Rafa, who, again, admittedly, was anonymous in the first half, but one of the few dangerous players on that pitch in the second half. Then he brings on Tarat and he brings on Pizzi. And I just didn't understand the change at all. Benfica had the best spell of the game with those two on the pitch. They scored their only goal with those two combining. They also made at least one other goal-scoring chance with those two combining while they were on the pitch together. And I think Rafa was the interesting one about it. Isn't it? Because I, I, although I think like I mentioned Sanusi had an excellent game, and I think it was part of the reason why Rafa was so quiet. I also think the change in system would have affected him as well. And rather than taking him off, I feel like Verissimo should have tried to change things in other areas so that you know you're bringing out the best of Rafa. That, that's re- literally been the key to their success this season. Is has been Rafa playing at his best in 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 the position he likes to play. So I think that is going to be really interesting to see how that progresses. Whether Verissimo can do that, or if he's going to stick to with his idea of how he wants to play. My final point uh, on Benfica was just um, for Tongan throwing up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much summed up their performance, right? <laughs> oh, do you mean just because he was knackered? I've got knackered. no idea. It was pretty grim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just sums up. I think it just sums up the defence, doesn't it? They've just, just scared me. I, I like Morato. I think he's he needs to feature more. I think when Otamendi comes back, perhaps if, you know, they stick with a four at the back, they, those are the two centre-backs to play. But Vertonghen is a player I've loved uh, I, I love them in uh, at Spurs. I think he's a he's a really classy player, but he's he's getting on, man. And I think it, we're starting to see that this season. He needs a manager who's going to give him a bit of a boost. You know, maybe re kind of revitalize him, re-energize him, give him that that motivation at ten in his career. Well, then let's move on, Barney, and talk about another great game from this week featuring one of the big three, and that was Sporting Three Portimonense Two, a game which saw Paulinho silence the doubters with a hat-trick any poacher would be proud of. But it wasn't all plain sailing. Portimonense frustrated Sporting. They got the opening goal and a late golasso from Possignoli almost made for a tense ending. But in the end, Sporting overcame what I think we can fairly say are a very tricky opponent, the Portimonense. Yeah, I wanted to start with Portimonense because we saw them revert to the same system that they used to beat Benfica back in October. And, I, and, you know, they gave Sporting a really good game in this one. They, they really pushed Sporting. And what I like about Palo Sergio is that he does adapt his teams for the opposition. And I know we've talked about this question a few times, should you change your style for the big teams in the league? And I, and I still don't know the answer. But the performances Palo Sergio's side have put in against Benfica and now Sporting, playing in a different system to how they play against the other teams, I would say has proven to work and put them in a position of, you know, getting a result in this game. And this season, we're seeing like some big scorelines. Pika beating Mauricio 7-1, Braga winning 6-0 against Ruka just the other day. I think this is an argument for adapting because they could have got a draw. I know it was like a late equaliser and there wasn't perhaps much time, but you know they they put them close enough to, to, for there to be a possibility of them nicking something. And they played a slightly different system against Porto. They kept an extra attacker in the lineup with Bermorte, arguably one of their best attackers. And that didn't work out. They lost 3-0 and, and, and were well beat. But this game, you know, just going with the two strikers, playing the five at the back, playing with defensive-minded midfielders as well. It, it was really smart and I, I really enjoyed watching it. And I, I think, you know, Palo Sergio organised his team to put in a really good performance against a big team. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think at the time I didn't quite see it. I got it a bit wrong in my immediate uh, viewing of the game. I think I did what all bad football fans do and focus too much on sporting's weaknesses rather than. Uh, what Portimonense achieved. But you're quite right to point out the good work that 
uh, Palo Sergio had done. They're overachieving this season, definitely. Maybe on another day, they would have got something out of the game. The red card changed the game for them a bit. They, they were holding on quite well. But also, I think another factor was Brand Cancer getting onto the pitch. He played 20 minutes less than Paulinho and had the same amount of touches and played more key passes. I don't think he's better than Paulinho, obviously. I think, but there are games that I, where I think Brand Cancer would be better suited because uh, he ultimately he created the equalizing us. He made that space. He had the presence of mind to dummy one way and open up the left wing for um, Nuno Santos to to have all that space. And, and I think what when when he came on, things started to unlock, Sporting started to uh, able to come into the game more. I think it was a really smart move from Amarin bringing Bruganzo in. I think you could see the game was calling out for it. As you mentioned, Porto Lens was sitting deep, frustrating the team, and they just needed somebody to unlock the door, which Bruganzo did. I thought the other young player that came on as well was incredibly impressive. It's the first I've ever seen in him. Jenny, I believe his name is. Because I was wondering if that right wing spot was the right player. As guy who started the game, I didn't think he did amazingly. And I was wondering about Estervish coming on because he's done well in recent weeks. But it was Jenny who came on. Looked really good as well. He was fantastic at that. I think he's more of a right midfielder in real life than a wing back. And you could really tell he was attacking from the start. He was all about getting down the wing and creating chances. And I think those two young players, uh, Braganza and Jenny, really changed the game. So, you know, it was credit to them for their performances and credit to Amarim for spotting the uh, change that was needed uh, and making that change. Because, of course, from that point on, they went on to get the three goals that would win them the game. And I think we've talked far too long about this game, about talking about the hat-trick hero, the star of the show, Paulinho. Uh, And I would be lying if I said I wasn't really pleased to see him get his hat-trick. You know, he's a player that, hasn't got as many goals as maybe some people expected while still contributing in other other areas of the game. And I think therefore he's had quite a few doubters. But, you know, let's not forget that this is a guy who scored important goals for this side before. And while he may not get you 25, 30 goals a season, his overall contribution to the team is more than justified. And he took his goals very, very well in this game. I think with Paulinho, like we knew he was a good player, right? But since the move to Sporting, I haven't been satisfied with his contribution in goals. I know he's contributed other way, and he's, he's played well for the team. But a lot of money was spent on him to to spearhead Sporting's attack. For me, he should have scored a lot more than he has. That being said, I think the past month or so we're seeing him do this, and his goal contributions have have increased. He's currently got the most assists for Sporting and the most goals, and we really saw the best of him in this game, perhaps because the team played to his strengths. Nuno Santos put in eleven crosses this game his average is 1.2 per game Sarabia put in 10 crosses this game his average is 2.2 per game with Pote not as lethal in front of goal and the arrival of Sarabia who gets involved in the final third just as much as Pote if not even more they haven't just tweaked their attacking play and I think in this game we saw a little bit of a a change and and I think that absolutely brought out the best in Paulinho absolutely and I think you know like you say maybe the burden of creating wasn't on his shoulders in this game and he was able to to just get in the box and get in on the end of those chances that uh, were created for him. The other player that also really shone in the game, I thought, Barney, was Mateus Reese. Someone, you know, we've been praising more and more on the show as the weeks go by. And I think he's now rightly being talked about by most people as one of the most improved players in the league this season, considering the poor performances that he was demonstrating at the start of his sporting career. He's now, in my opinion, I think undroppable in that sporting defence um, his contribution from that left centre-back role in that back five, I think, is phenomenal, both offensively and defensively. Uh, he surges forward. He that runs run, past man. players. I know. Fantastic. beautiful. He makes opportunities for his teammates, you know, both infield on the overlap as well, which is really useful. And he's proved himself a solid enough defender to deal with most threats that 
uh, are going to come his way. And like I said, I think at this point, I don't know how you leave him out of that sporting defence. He has to be one of the first names on the team sheet for me. The thing I like about him over Fadal is that he, he's obviously naturally being a left-back. It's, it's attacking nature is, is there, isn't it? And, and that, I think that really helps the team in parts. I did want to talk about Posinolo's goal, Albert. Of course. It's goal of the season, for sure. Oh, like, really? Not quite for me. Not quite oh, for me. It was excellent. It was an excellent goal. The listeners will have to make sure they go and watch that on the highlights and let us know what they think. It was a lovely goal, but I think we'll see better. Oh, man, but like it's, like, it's so satisfying when a defender is so classy and has the belief to take on like a little chest. And it, I thought it was lovely. A lovely overhead kick goal if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, it was brilliant. But look, this was, for sporting, a tough game, but Paulinho stepped up to the mark, got them the win. This is what Amarin is absolutely king at. You know, when, when there is a tough situation, when there's a sticky situation, he'll make a change, he'll adjust something. But not only that, his players have the belief that they are going to be victorious, they are going to win, and, and that drives them over the line. I think it was a, a really good win for sporting and, and against a tough sportsman inside. Well, let's move on and talk about another game full of goals from the Premier League this week. And that was Braga 6, Aruka 0. We talk a lot, Barney, about what Braga are we going to see this week. Are we going to see the ruthless attacking Braga? Or are we going to see the disjointed and confusing Braga that we sometimes see? Well, we definitely got the former in this game as they scored six goals. And it was two youngsters who stole the show in this match. Vitinho, the 21-year-old striker, who scored three goals, assisted another and won a penalty for a further goal. And 16-year-old Roger, who became not only the Premier League's youngest ever scorer, but the youngest player to score two goals in the Premier League again, only coming on with 20 minutes to go and still scoring a brace, all at 16 years old. A really incredible achievement. And let's start with Vitinho, Barney, because we were talking about him recently on our Tassa to Portugal special in a game where he just scored four goals. And it's another game where he's bagged himself a hatful three in this one and he's really starting to make a name for himself this season oh I just I just love watching him play I think he's a bully that's why how I describe <laughs> him because he's you know he's strong he's fast he's not afraid to receive the ball with a defender like backing into him or anything like mm-hmm. that and he's just like a I don't know but I feel like people used to describe Diego Costa as a a pit bull, you know what I mean? But mm. like, he's he's got that aggression as well. And I think he's a great finisher too. I, he's just so exciting, man. Every time I've seen him, he's been absolutely dynamic. He's been like, he's just absolutely ruthless. And I, I don't know why it's taken a little while, but I feel like suddenly Braga unearthed this, this player is just going to absolutely re- revitalise them. And... Well, they've had issues up front, haven't they? You know, it's well documented. Abel Ruiz hasn't been the striker that we hoped. Mario Gonzalez, who we really predicted big things for, and now is... The forgotten man at Braga. So to have this homegrown talent available to, to them is is just a, a fantastic asset. I, do you know what I liked about him this game was the way his finishes improved with each goal. Mm. I mean, the first the first is arguably not even his goal. <laughs> yeah. Basically, somebody shoots, the ball hits him, and it bounces in. The second is is you know he, he does really well to follow up the shot, yeah. but realistically to tap in into an open goal. But the third is a really, really good finish through the keeper's legs. Um, and I think he just showed that, you know, the goals don't always have to be pretty, do they? A proper striker will score all types of goals. And I think he's proving to be the type of player that can find the back of the net in, in a variety of ways. I felt like with this, you know, when, when, the, when the team sheet came out for the game and we saw the amount of youngsters on the bench, obviously Vitinha starting up top, Miguel Falle playing left wing as well they're absolutely relentless against Aruka I'm not sure I've seen Aruka a few times they look pretty dreadful in this game to be fair but 
Also, the way Braga played, how quick they played. I think Kuto and Mora on the wing-backs. You think they ended last season with Izgaya and Sakaria as their full-backs. And as soon as Izgaya went, Sakaria's had his injuries, I was like, oh, this this could be a problem. Kuto and Mora have been absolutely fantastic, haven't they? they, they they've been so exciting. I mean, it, does, it just goes back to what I said at the beginning, you know, where you don't really know what Braga you're going to get. And we know they have this within them to perform in this way because you're quite right to say that Aruka looked dreadful in this game. I've watched Aruka a few times this season and they've never looked this weak. They've never looked this rattled by a team. So, you know, this is not a team, we know they're a newly promoted team, but this is not a team that you can just walk over. They've had really good performances this season. So I think it is credit to the way that Braga played. And like I said, we know that they've got this level of performance in them. It's frustrating when we don't always see it, but when we do see it, it is really enjoyable to watch. Alvarez Rassi had a good game as well, but I think you know I was I was critical of him a few weeks ago. But I think him and Minier as a pair in that midfield double pivot, I think that works well because it allows the other players to just express themselves, knowing that these two guys are behind them. Some really good little uh, recoveries and, and quick passes out to the wingers that just sort of started a few of these attacks. It was just a perfect game for Carlos Carver, wasn't it? You know, amazing passages of play. A lot of young players get on the pitch. The way that his team also, you know. Like you said, Aruka aren't are no mugs, and then and they nullified their attacking threats. You know, Andre Silva, their top goal scorer and, and second most assists, he had one shot on target and barely got the ball. Essentially, the left winger, yeah, he's got the most assists for them this season. Just 17 touches in 85 minutes, he was on the field. You know, that just shows that his whole game plan worked, worked well. The defenders were doing their jobs, the midfielders were doing their jobs, and the attackers, and it was um well, one player who surely everyone knows the name of now who got on the pitch was, of course, Roger. As we mentioned, with his two goals, he became the Premier League's youngest ever goal scorer at just 16 years of age. His story has just been so incredible to follow this year. Debuting at 15, scoring a goal in the Cup, and now scoring two in the league. And what I always love is that those times we've seen him score, he always runs to celebrate with Carlos Cavalier. And I think it is also worth crediting Cavalier for the way he's helped develop this young player because at such a young age, you know, at 15 and 16 years old, it could be so easy for for this to go wrong for Roger. But he's just been given the confidence and the freedom and, in my opinion, just the right amount of opportunities to express himself by Carlos Cavalier. And it's just, it's been a great story to follow and really enjoyable to see, see the kid do well. Well, we've got time for a couple more games before we wrap up, Barney. And let's do another tasty game from this week uh, as Vittoria Gimaraes drew with Boa Vista 1-1. Vittoria without key man Marcus Edwards due to COVID who got the opening goal through Oscar Estupinen before Boa Vista equalised five minutes before full-time through unlikely goal scorer Thiago Eloy. It was another positive performance for Boa Vista since the appointment of new manager Petit. That's now one win, one loss, and two draws in his four league games in charge, as well as the fantastic 5-1 win over Braga in the Tassa de Liga. We have to give credit, Barney, to Petit, who, if I'm being totally honest, I did not see any real reason for him to be appointed after his time at BSAD. But I think we can see that if he has a team with a little bit more quality, maybe he has a bit more of a connection to, uh, then he can achieve something good with this team because the thing that was most pleasing to see for me from his Boavista side, is that they are competitive in every game. They might not win every game, they might not be the better team in every game, but they will always compete and they will always put a shift in. And I do think that his influence is paying off. I think it's also important to say that 
I don't think this was necessarily something they were missing under Joao Pedro Souza. I don't think there's really a suggestion that he left because he was underachieving, although admittedly the form had gone sour towards the end. But I think that aspect of Bovista's game is definitely something that Petit has built on. You mentioned Joao Pedro Souza, but I think reflecting now, I think that he was a, a manager with a group of players that didn't gel. That he, I feel like he was trying to do things that players weren't particularly capable of. And, and I think now with Petit, they seem to have a better identity and probably some of these players feel more comfortable playing the style that Petit's playing. They think they, they seem to be able to keep the ball better in games. You know, they got 41% possession when their, their average under Jao Pedro Souza was in the mid-30s. There's been an improvement in that sense. And I think Petit hasn't done a, a massive overhaul with, with the starting eleven. It's very much the same players that are playing under Jao Pedro Souza, but it's it just all seems a bit more comfortable, a bit more focused, and the football seems to be a bit better. For Vittoria then, Barney, I think, if we're being honest, this is really the sort of game that they should be winning this season if they want to improve on what they achieved last season at home against the Bovis side who, despite recent improvements, I think they should still be considering themselves a superior team to. But I think what this game showed was something that we've touched on before, and that's their reliance on key players, such as Marcus Edwards. And when those players are absent, I think they do struggle. Lameris was decent on the wing uh, and Rashinia was still a real threat going forward. He was, of course, the one with his shot that created a spark that led to their goal from Escrow Stupinan. But they did really struggle to make that killer chance. And I think there's a very telling statistic here, which is that they had 17 shots. They had 30 actions in the opposition area, but they only had two shots on target. Yeah, I think a player like Lameris, who we both think is... You know, got some real, real quality. I think you know when his his opportunities arise, you want you want him to be taking that, and 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 I think that was a, a disappointment for me. I think Bavista probably edged it for me in this game. I, I think they were the, the better team overall. I think that's a really exciting moment because I, I I feel like Bavista on a, an upward trajectory. They're only, or well, I say only, but they're seven points off Victoria now. But you know, a, a, a run of three wins out of four or something could really put them up the table and them. It, it wouldn't take much for them to to, to really um, climb up that. Absolutely. And like you say, pretty comfortable at the moment on 11th. And I think when we spoke to some Vista fans at the beginning of the season, they all said the same thing. They just wanted a comfortable mid-table season. And I think, it, fair enough, it might not be glamorous. It might not be hitting the heights. But if they finish this season uh, in 11th place, I think that would be a very successful season considering the issues they had last year and the squad that they started the season with. Well, let's just do one more game, Barney, very quickly. Uh, and let's talk about a team that we haven't talked about on this podcast in what feels like a very, very long time. Passos de Ferreira, who beat Santa Clara 2-1. And it was two goals from Brazilian striker Denilson Jr., which saw Passos come from behind to win the game. And it's success for another new manager, Cesar Peixoto, who has now won his first two games in charge of Passos after replacing George Simao. Uh, and it's good to see a team who did so well last season having a little upturn in form after what I think has been quite a difficult start for them this season. It's been a really complicated season for them. I think George Simao, from what I saw of his games, they, they seem to come across as a well-organised team, but ultimately they, they, they weren't getting points, they weren't getting results. I think... Well, they're, they're, they've scored the second least amount of goals in the league this season. So Denilson Jr. scoring is exactly what they needed. And, and when he does, they, they they usually get a result. So 
it's great to see him come back in. I think Peixoto is going to change things up, which is probably what they, they needed. I think in this game, you saw this sort of shift in formation and that that seemed to work well for them, going with a 3-4-3 rather than the sort of 4-3-3 that we've seen with uh, Simao. And, and, you know, the players will need that. They'll need that change. They'll need that sort of idea that things can, can get better. And uh, I think we, we, we saw it in this game, you know, despite them going 1-0 down. George Samal didn't did a decent job, and I, I think my initial thought when when they employed him was that perhaps almost they'd been a little bit too hasty to get a new manager because mm-hmm. I remember they employed him quite early in the summer, maybe even before the transfer window, and I just thought if they'd been a little bit more patient, then better managers would become available. And you know we saw managers like Vasco Sierra become available, and I think perhaps um, a slightly better manager could have. It could have come their way if they'd been a little bit more patient. But then again, George Samao is probably the best looking manager I've seen in a suit in this league. So you can understand perhaps <laughs> why they were a little bit a uh, little bit dazzled by that. But like you, I think Cesar Prosciutto is a, a positive choice. I like the fact that they're not just going around the same kind of manager merry-go-round of, of managers that, that we've seen so often. You know, God forbid someone like Joao Henriquez came in. Um, so I'm pleased that they they picked who they picked. Uh, and it's been a good start, a perfect start after two games, perhaps not tested too much yet. Um, so we'll see how they do in a few weeks and, and after the general transfer window. I'd just also like to echo what you said about Denison Jr. because um, I was also really pleased to see him come back into the team. Uh, three goals in his last two games, fantastic. Uh, and he's a player that, you know, when he first started this season, I thought he looked like the real deal. Um, so if he can carry on his form, I'd be, be really pleased to see that. I think the thing to say is, is now, they, they, I mean, they are in 10th. We've got to remember that this is a team, they're not expecting to be down the lower end of the table scrapping. They want to be fighting for those Europa Conference League places. And, and rightfully so. You know, they've done remarkably well to keep Estaco in the team. I, I don't, it's, it's, it's an amazing that he didn't move in the summer after the performance he had. And he still puts in decent performances. And... Yes, the the attack has changed somewhat with the loss of Lufa Singh, but there's still decent players in there. They're, you know, they've got excellent defenders, um, Maracas in particular. You know, this is a decent squad. Perhaps a few additions will come in January. We'll have to see. But they're a team that are expecting more than a relegation. This is, you know, they want more than mid-table. I think there's, there's a step up, isn't there? There's a step up. I'm not sure how big a step, but there's an extra step that this team can take this season if they can unlock that potential, definitely. All right, well, I think that's about all we've got time for on this week's episode. It just leaves us to do what we always like to do at the end of these shows and give you some game recommendations if you're looking for a game to tune into in the Primera Liga this weekend. There's not too many choice fixtures, I think, Barney. There's not too many obvious ones. I think if you're going to watch a game from the Big Three, my suggestion will be Friday night, Sporting versus Santa Clara. I think you're bound to see a few goals and who doesn't like a little bit of Friday night football? Yeah, that or Estoril Porto. But I think um, Estoril have been uh, up in a fifth, but they've had a bit of a downward turn of form recently. Ever since the rumours of um, Bruno Pinheiro uh, moving to Turkey, you know they've seemed to their form's dropped off a bit. But they, you know they could turn up. They've been playing some excellent football. I'm a bit of a stuck for choice on the uh, game of the week, uh, but you seem to. Oh, I've just seen it. Only <laughs> spotted it because you know every <laughs> week we can't just give you a big free game to recommend. We have to give you a bit of a long ball football special. And every now and again, Barney, I think a game comes up that we can accurately describe as a long ball football derby. Mm. And there's a big one this week. On Sunday at 3.30, Portimonense versus Maritimo. 
two of the teams that get a lot of airtime on this podcast, two great managers, two great teams that me and Barney like a lot. So that is going to be a fascinating game that I'm sure me and Barney are really excited to watch. Yeah, but that wasn't the one I was mentioning because I just went I went a day further, Albert. Did you see okay. that one on Monday night? Oh, lovely. Fantastic. Guilford Vicente Vittorio de Grimash. That's, that's going to be my one. That's my recommendation. Monday at 8.15pm, Guilford Vicente versus Vittoria. Two cracking fixtures, two teams that me and Barney really like. So plenty of good games, as always, if you look a little bit further outside the big three. Uh, but before you, you wrap up, there's one thing I just wanted to say. I really wanted to make sure I said it uh, this podcast. Um, mm. Lito's off the mark. Three <laughs> points in the back. <laughs> Here we go. How could I forget? That should have been the first headline at the beginning of the show. Well, look, on that note, we will leave it there uh, and just say thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, there's now a number of ways that you can show your support in the form of a review. If you listen to us on Spotify, perhaps you're listening on Spotify right now. If you click on our podcast and go to our podcast page, there is now a new place for you to leave a star rating of our podcast. And if you leave a good one, I'm sure it will mean Spotify recommend our podcast to more people. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can do the same thing. Leave a star rating or even a little review. And we'll be sure to give you a shout out on next week's show if you do so. But that just leaves me to say... Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.